Take your Bibles and turn with me to the 34th Psalm. The 34th Psalm. As we typically, not always, but typically look at a meditation on a psalm, which is always a prayer, which is always an expression of, of, of devotion and, and hope that is found in Christ from many times the pen of David, as is this one in this particular psalm. Now, if you're regular here, you know that we're in a series on Romans. And last Sunday, we came to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And quite honestly, that verse fits very well to what we're talking about in coming to the Lord's table. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The focus being there on being in Christ Jesus. And, and this, this table, this, this communion time as we call it, it, is a time of focusing on what it means to be in Christ Jesus. So for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. We're going to come back to that verse in a couple of weeks as we continue our our series in Romans, but I, I, want you to, I want you to think about that as we look at this psalm. Because this psalm is a psalm that is penned by David when he escapes almost certain death. If you were to look back in, in 1 Samuel 21, verse 10, matter of fact, if you want to do that, turn back with me for a second to 1 Samuel verse, chapter 21, verse 10, or you can just listen to me. David is fleeing from Saul, and he says, and David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, uh, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish the king of Goth. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. It's a pretty sight. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why have you brought him to me? Do I, do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And then David departed there and escaped once again. David had been almost facing almost certain death with Saul. And he prayed to the Lord and the Lord delivered him. And, and, and out of that, David writes this psalm. It's one of the things I love about our, our chrono when we've done the chronological Bible reading together out of uh, that F. Lagarde Smith did years ago in the Daily Bible. As we read through the, the chronology of how things are written, you come to, sec, uh, to 1 Samuel, and there is where this psalm is placed. It's not placed just in the book of Psalms, but it's placed chronologically as it would be written, as David would have cried out to God in praise and rejoicing of the fact that he had been delivered from his, his, his enemies. And when you compare Psalm 34 to Psalm 22 that we read responsibly this morning 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you, you compare that to what David says in this psalm, him writing both of them, you recognize that, that there are times when we struggle, there are times when we go through difficulties, there's times when we have what David calls here in 34, afflictions. But for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. For those who are in Christ, there is and always will be protection. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where you're hurting. You don't know where I'm hurting. We, we don't tend to be too transparent with one another about those kind of things. But I can tell you this, that wherever you're hurting, whatever you're struggling with, if you are in Christ, there is protection for you. There is care for you. There is concern for you by one who is far greater than a pastor, far greater than a friend, far greater than a relative. There is care for you by Almighty God who redeemed you and put you in Christ. I want you to see Psalm 34. It's mainly going to speak for itself because I want us to look at the whole thing before we come to this table. But in verses 1 through 3, David is just rejoicing. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. The literal rendering there is in, in every time, every circumstance. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I want to I praise Him and thank Him and bless Him. Bless Him is just giving Him acknowledgement of all His grace in our lives. He says, verse 2, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I, I like in Psalm 22 when we read the, the verse that says, and the Lord inhabits the praises of Israel. You can, you can, you can look at that very Old testament and say, oh, just Israel does inhabit their praises, but literally in our understanding of the, the New Testament interpreting the Old Testament, really what that's saying is uh, you know, that God inhabits the praises of His people, which is those who are in Christ Jesus, right? So the Lord inhabits our praises. You can know when the Lord is present if you walk into a church anywhere. I hope you know it when you come into Grace Baptist, that you walk in here and we sing together, we praise the Lord together, and you say, man, there, there is an, a, a habitation of God here because His people are praising Him, they're worshiping Him, they're, they're heartfelt crying out to Him. And David says, listen, I just want to magnify the Lord. I want us together. I want us together. I want us together to exalt His name there's a corporateness for worship worship can be singular worship you can worship in your car as i've talked about before you can worship in your prayer closet you can worship in your house you can worship all sorts of places individually but there is a uniqueness there is a specialness that is is, is, is that is involved in a corporate worship of God, when God's people, those who are in Christ, come together 
and exalt His name together and praise Him together. Verse 4, he talks about his trouble. He's, he's praised him in verses 1 through 3. And he says, I, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. What are you fearing this morning? What are you fearing? Financial problems? Is it family problems? Is it medical problems? What is causing you to fear? Well, David says, I, I cried out the Lord to the Lord. I sought the Lord. It's more than just saying a simple prayer, oh Lord, help me out here. I sought the Lord. The, the idea there is diligently and with passion. I sought the Lord and He answered me and He delivered me from all my fears, no matter what they are. Those who look to Him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. The angel of the Lord. It's an interesting statement and it's interpreted different ways by different people at different times. But, but basically, when you see this concept of the angel of the Lord, you, you need to think about the presence of Almighty God. Now, the angel of the Lord is somewhat the, the leader of the heavenly host, I suppose, the, the archangel or whatever who leads out the angels. But when the angel of the Lord is present, whether it's in the, in the lion's den with Daniel or in the fiery flames with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, no matter where the, Lord, where, the, where the angel of the Lord appears, the presence of the Lord is right there. And there's probably an analogy here also to Elisha and his servant. You remember Elisha and his servant? His servant was fearful. There were enemies all around them. The enemies were moving in on them from every side. They were about to destroy them, about to conquer them. And, and the, the, Elisha was not fearful, and, and, the, and the servant thought he was probably out of his mind because of that. And he said, but don't you see all of these armies? And Elisha simply prayed, Lord, Open his eyes that he might see all of reality. Yes, it was real that the enemies were coming upon them. That was a part of their reality. There's no doubt about it. But as the Lord opened the servant's eyes, he saw the, he saw the multitudes of the heavenly hosts, the angelic beings surrounding them to protect them from the enemy that they feared. You may find this hard to believe. But I believe with all my heart that that was not unique for Elisha and his servant. But that is unique for you and me. And when we cry out and when we seek Him and when we ask Him to deliver us and protect us, the angel of the Lord encamps around us, those who fear the Lord, and He delivers them. But here's the key verse. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man or the woman who takes refuge in Him. Have you ever noticed how often in the Scripture... Our senses 
are called into uh, to be involved in knowing God? Here he says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, now you and I know that the Lord is spirit. You and I know that the Lord is, is not something that we can go up and, and, and take a taste of in a physical, literal sort of way. But he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Experience him. The, the same way you would bread and juice as we come to this table. Taste. You, you taste the bread. You taste the, the fruit of the vine. And you know this represents his body. It represents his blood. Taste and see that the Lord is good. As you taste that bread and think about the fact that his body was given for us on Calvary. That it was on Golgotha that he died there in our place. Golgotha, not Golgotha. That he hung there in our place. And when you taste that, that juice, that, that fruit of the vine, know that you're tasting that which represents the blood of Christ that was shed there for the new covenant to be established and for us to be able to know Him, to be able to walk with Him. Oh, taste, oh, taste with all your spirit, with all your soul, with all your might. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good no matter what your circumstance might be, no matter where your problems might be, taste and see and know that the Lord is good. And do you notice here in all these, starting back in verse 1, and right down through to where we are in verse 8, oh, taste and see the Lord is good. You, you notice that, that the way Lord is written there, small, all caps, do you notice that? All caps in just a little smaller situation. When you see that, you know the name that is there, the word that is there in the Hebrew text is Yahweh. Yahweh. The personal name of God that he gave to Moses at the burning bush. The personal name of God that goes throughout all of Scripture, which literally means I am that I am. I am the one. I am self-existent. I am always existent. I am the God who has no beginning and no ending. I am is who this Lord is. You see, that, that word, that name, there are other names for God. There's Elohim, there's El Shaddai, there's, I mean, you can go on and on. There, there are a lot of names that are used for God in different places with different circumstances. But the one that's used most in all of Scripture is that word Yahweh. Spelled out only in, in consonants in the Hebrew. Because the, the Jewish people would not pronounce his name. They, they just wouldn't do it. They'd put the, the four letters uh, for Yahweh there, but they, they wouldn't say his name because it was too holy. But we can come to understand that the Lord is good. This one who is self-existent, this one who is glorified in himself, this one who redeems his people, this one who protects his people, this one who gives refuge to his people, he is good. Good God. He's the only one there is. But His character is good. His, his, his love toward us is good. His protection to us is good. Now, now, he talks about taking refuge in Him and fearing the Lord, you His saints, in verse 9. For those who fear Him will have no lack. Young lions suffer, and want, suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. 
Sounds like the prosperity gospel there, doesn't it? It's not. The, the key is in no good thing. No thing that is good for you and no thing that is necessary. And do you realize that sometimes afflictions and pain and suffering is a good thing? It's a good thing when the Lord uses it to draw us closer to Him. It's a good thing when it causes us to cry out, Oh Lord, oh Lord, deliver me. When we cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a good thing. Young lions, they get hungry. Those who seek the Lord really desire the Lord first and foremost above everything. And you know, that's the real key to this. This is really another expression of, of what Moses said and what Jesus reiterated. When he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love the Lord your God with all that you are. Love the Lord your God from your, from your innermost being. Love the Lord your God. That's what it means to seek the Lord. To do it without distraction. To do it without anything else stepping in the way to eclipse him. Come, O children, verse 11, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit, that is lying. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Peace with God first and foremost and peace with others because of that peace with God that permeates your life. He says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, those who are in Christ. They are the righteous. And his ears toward their cry. He listens to those who he's adopted into his family. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. David's giving testimony here. I was crushed in spirit. I was fearful. I thought I was going to die. And the Lord delivered me. And, and his, his implication is, or his statement is if you'll do that for me he will do that in your life as you pursue him and as you seek him look at these last verses many are the afflictions of the righteous wait a minute i thought you just said lord i thought david just said here that the lord is near the brokenhearted he saves the crushed in spirit, uh, the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The, the, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, but, it's, but the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. He delivers them, he saves them, he, 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 he pushes the evil away. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. 
He says, the Christian life is not a life without struggle, without affliction, without problem. Just as it is with the unbeliever. The unbeliever has struggles and afflictions and all these things too. But the key is here, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Now I've got some good news and I've got some bad news, perhaps. The good news is the Lord will deliver you out of every single affliction that you ever had. Or ever will have. The bad news is all of it's not going to come in this life. I think of my friend Cy Waddle, he was delivered from every affliction and every pain and every struggle and even every sin Friday night. But he had that right up to the end. But the Lord was always with him. So David says, seek the Lord. Come to the table. Come to the table and don't just come and say, oh, it's the third Sunday of the month, so we've got to observe the Lord's Supper. Come to this table and say, Lord, I praise you for this bread that represents your body. I thank you, Lord, for this cup that represents your blood that is poured out. Father, I rejoice in the fact that you are our Redeemer. And our deliverer and our protection. And you're everything that we need. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Another messianic reference there, by the way. That he hung on the cross, but no bone was broken, as is typical. Affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Do you see here? He's saying the wicked have affliction, the righteous have afflictions, they both have afflictions, but they're two totally different endings to the afflictions. In affliction, those who are the righteous, covered in the righteousness of Christ, those who are in Christ, Their afflictions are dealt with by God, by Christ. To those who are the wicked, out of Christ, in Adam, but not in Christ, their afflictions will slay them. Here's the great promise. The Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in him, will be condemned. Wait a minute. Does that sound familiar? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. There there is no condemning of those who are in Christ, Paul says. There is no condemning of those who are in Christ, David says in verse 22. That, my friend, is the beauty of being in Christ. That is the beauty of knowing Him. 
That is the beauty of being able to come to this table and say, Lord, I'm not worthy. And I say that this morning. For myself. I'm not worthy to take of this bread, drink of this cup. I'm only worthy, I can only come because of the worthiness of Lord Jesus Christ. In a few minutes when the elements are passed, we're going to play again. We did this several months ago. We're going to play again Andrew Peterson's song, Is He Worthy? And I want you to think about those words as you're taking, of the, as you're holding these elements in your hand. You'll, you'll take them and hold them until we can all eat them together. But I want you to think about the questions and the statements that Peterson makes about, is he worthy? Yes, he is. And I want you to think about where you are in your walk with Christ. Just a religion? Just a formality that you do because you do it, because you've always done it, because you think you always ought to do it, and so you just do it? Or is it because you are in Christ? You are seeking refuge in God. As we pray each week in staff meeting, we we pray for a lot of things, but we take these names. I mentioned it this last week for you to do, but in staff meeting, we take these names. I can tell you that on Tuesday when we meet, the Denny's, the Dones, the Down, Mr. Jerry Down, and the Drapos will all be prayed for specifically by one of the pastors. But there's another thing we pray for. We pray for our church body to be cleansed of any complacency that we have sort of a Patrick experience of longing to be used of God for the glory of the gospel above everything else I've said this before and I'll say it again I'll say it till I die probably that that I've never in 40 some odd years of pastor and I've never pastored a church that is more fun to pastor more in, in some ways easy to pastor than Grace Baptist Church. So, people that love God and, and want the word. They don't want their ears tickled. I'm thankful for that. I'm glad God gave this to me at the end of my ministry rather than at the beginning of my ministry. Because it had all been downhill from there. Now I've had some, I've pastored some good churches. I don't mean to imply I didn't. But this has been a glorious 12 and a half years as we have worshipped together and served together, as we've gone to Peru together, as we've gone to Canada together, we've gone all sorts of places to, to take the gospel. But that does not mean we are a perfect congregation. And so what we pray each Tuesday is, Lord, grant our body a newfound passion to be faithful in the gospel. A new found passion, not just for a program, not just say, oh, we're going to Canada, so we've got to go to Canada, but to go to Canada to, to a dark place and take the gospel. 
and for our people and our pastors included to say with David, I will bless the Lord at all times. I will, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. That nothing will supplant that. Be it recreation, be it sports, be it whatever. That my priority in my life is to worship together with the body. And to be used together with the body. I got permission from one person sitting in this congregation morning to preach as long as I wanted to today because nobody's going to be wanting to rush home at 1 o'clock for a ball game. If I'd stayed in Romans, 1, uh, Romans 8 1, we would talk about idols today, but we're not there. We're talking about Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. That means He's my focus at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth mm. oh taste and see that the Lord is good as you taste this bread and taste this cup Will you recognize the goodness of the Lord? How good He is. Because the Lord redeems the life of His servants and none of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, who have refuge in Him. I love that parallel. I want to call us to a time of prayer before we come to this table. I'm going to invite our, our deacons who are going to serve to come on down and take their seats even while I'm talking here. But I'm also going to invite you to pray. Not just to hear me pray, but to pray. And I'm going to invite you, if the Lord would give you the freedom, to come and kneel here at the front. This is not an altar. It's just the front of the church. But come as an act of, of prayer to just kneel before our God. If you're willing to do that, just come right now before we pray. But I want us to pray silently together. I, I want us to do what David says in this psalm. Take refuge in Him if you haven't already. And if you are in Christ, to acknowledge my strength is from the Lord. Pray together, silently. Just be still.
and be aware of God's presence among us. Oh Lord, we ask you this morning to direct us. Direct us in all our doings with your most gracious favor and further us with your continual strength that in all our works that we have begun, continue, and end with you that everything we set out to do will have its foundation in you and its goal as glorifying you. May we glorify your holy name. And finally, Lord, by your mercy, obtain everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The psalmist said in Psalm 25, 4, Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Lord, you know what is best. Father, let this be done or that be done as you please. Give what you will and as much as you will and when you will. Lord, do with us as you know best, as will most please you and will be for your greater honor and glory. Place us, Lord, where you will. And deal with us freely in all things. We are in your hand. Turn us about whichever way you will. Direct us to the left or the right or straight ahead or to go back. Lord, direct our paths as you will. Behold, we are your servants. Indeed, you're doulos, your slaves. We are ready to obey, Lord. We desire to obey in all things. Not for ourselves do we desire to live, but for you. Because for uh, to us to live is Christ and to die is gain. We agree with Paul in that. We desire to live for you. Would that we could do this worthily and perfectly. That would be our desire. In Jesus' name, amen. And as we prepare for this table, prepare to take of the elements, prepare your heart, hopefully you already have, for the receiving of it, for he is worthy.
scripture says that on that night, he took the bread and he broke it and he passed it among them and he said, this is my body. This represents what will hang on the cross in just a few hours in your place. And he blessed it. Then he blessed the cup and said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Take and drink it. It, it represents that which seals your relationship with God. Father, we ask your blessings on these elements. Lord, help us think of them as we hold them in our hands. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Is a new. 